0: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss.
1: A podcast where we talk to smart people, but not necessarily done by smart people. That is an awesome question. This one goes down probably on one of my top five. Hey, I like
0: nutrition. I like to eat food. This is the coolest thing ever. We're going to do this forever. I wish I
1: paid more attention in that class. You know, I'm going to be honest. I don't understand that. As a man, I I don't get it.
0: Welcome to to smartpeoplepodcast.com.
1: Hello again, wherever you might be in the world. Welcome to Smart People Podcast, conversations that satisfy your curious mind. I'm Chris Stemp, and I want to give you a statistic to make you guys think a little bit here. In 2011, women ran only 12 Fortune 500 companies. That means there were 488 top companies that were run by men. In 2011, That's crazy. And that's the subject of our conversation this week, which is really the glass ceiling. But our guest this week doesn't call it a gender gap. Instead, she calls it a talent gap. And I really like that as she's going to go on to explain by not employing women. And we also talk about minorities. It's a matter of the fact that these organizations are not utilizing all of their talent properly. As I say in the episode, I was expecting our guest to be just totally feminist, hard-charging. Her book is a little bit, but she's not. She's very understanding. She talks about these are natural biases that we all have. Women have them. Men have them. I think it's a really great episode, and it'll open your mind. This week, we talked to Tiffany Lennon. Tiffany teaches in the Law and Society Program at Colorado Women's College of the University of Denver. She's worked for several nonprofits and advocacy organizations as a policy analyst and community advocate. She's the author of the recent book, Recognizing Women's Leadership, Strategies and Best Practices for Employing Excellence. So I'm going to cut right to it and turn it over to the interview with Tiffany. Head on over to smartpeoplepodcast.com. Check us out, guys. We appreciate it. Uh, sign up for the newsletter. We're sending out some great stuff. It's a way to make sure you don't miss out, and we bring it directly to you. Also, if you enjoy the show, we always appreciate a review and comment on iTunes. Here it is the episode with Tiffany Lennon. <music> Tiffany, thank you so much for being on the show. I am really excited to talk to you. Uh, As I mentioned kind of prior to recording, we've had listeners who have in the past reached out and made reference to our lack of women and female guests on the show. And I don't know how I missed that. I I feel pretty embarrassed. And we've, we've made a point to make it a more equal representation. And then as I read your book, I realized... Not only do I need to make it a more equal representation, but I feel like the inferior gender. (laughs) I really do.
2: Uh, You know, that's funny. and I I think what you're referencing there is I, I looked at performance in each industry and we measured performance based upon the industry standards. And so what we did find is that women are outperforming men, but, you know, I think it's less about who's smarter, frankly, and it's more about whenever you have an unrepresented group, it's not good enough for them to be as good as. They have to be better. And so I think what you're seeing there in that phenomenon is that women get that they need to be better. They need to, uh, you know, work harder to get to sometimes not even the same place, but to get it, you know, to, to make any kind of advancement, whether it be in their company, their own company, or for a corporation that they're working for.
1: That definitely occurred to me, the fact that as I was reading and the book is recognizing women's leadership. And as I was reading it and seeing all the studies, the in-depth work you did to determine really this this idea that women in leadership positions tend to perform better than men. I I thought, okay, wait, why is that? Let's think about it. And my instinct was, it's just an unfair system that they know they have to work harder to achieve the same or even lesser results when it comes to compensation, title, promotions, et cetera.
2: Right, and I think if you talk to any marginalized group, I think that they would say the same thing, right? People of color have been saying this for quite some time as well.
1: Right, yeah, and I think the most glaring issue comes at a senior leadership level, which is important. I mean, you mentioned how in 2011, women ran only 12 Fortune 500 companies. So 12 out of 500. Is that correct?
2: That is correct. Um, And, you know, here's the amazing news about that. If you look at, you know, so that's true, 12 out of 500. And then if you look at the top 10, women are better represented among the top largest uh, profitable companies in the U.S. And so it's interesting that, and we find this across the sectors, whereas if you look at leadership positions on a whole, you know, when we look at the... Uh, executive positions. And it's not just the C-suite, right? The CEO, the CFO, the CMO. We looked at senior leaders uh, in, a, in a a given corporation. So for some companies, that means 80 positions. For others, it means 200 positions. So we didn't just look at the top five positions. And I think that's an important distinction mm-hmm. uh, because really the senior leaders, the executive leadership team is much larger than you know the three to five people that that are, are in a, a C position, CEO, CFO,
1: et cetera. I wanna talk about all of this that's going on, the glass ceiling that still very much exists, and the studies you did. But first, I was hoping we could get, just for our listeners, a little more background on where did this passion come from? Have you studied a lot of this in the past? Was it something you said, you know what, I, this is something I wanna understand and make public? It was really a
2: very authentic process. My background is that I've done research like this for companies, for nonprofits, uh, for, for research institutions, for universities. And so I have oftentimes will look at uh, systemic issues in general, uh, make set of policy recommendations, et cetera, et cetera. And so Marie Wilson, who was the founder of the White House Project, uh, approached uh, my college where I'm teaching and, uh, and the dean of the college and myself and said, look, I, we need uh, a more extensive, elaborate study done. Will you do it? I said, yes. Uh, and that's really how it happened. Um, I oftentimes have looked at marginalized communities in my work, right, just by the nature of, of um, some of the positions that I've held in the past, but really I haven't, I, I had not, di- you know, did a deep dive into where women sit in leadership positions, although certainly I was versed on, you know, the latest books and research studies and all of that. And so she asked me to do the study, uh, Marie Wilson, I respect her tremendously. She was founder of the Ms. Magazine Foundation. She did the, she created the Bring Your Daughter to Work Day Uh You know, the first Barbie doll that was uh, a U.S. president, you know, and all of that. And uh, I respected her tremendously. So I said yes and uh, did the study and, you know, just kept diving in deeper and deeper.
1: Speaking of diving in, I mean, let's do that. You know, you mentioned according to recent data on women leaders across all major sectors in the U.S., women are outperforming men but earning less. I know that that has to be something when you're out speaking and making this message known that people just go, wait a second, red flag. What is even outperforming in a leadership role mean? And that is at the core of your studies in your book. So could you give us a little background information on how do you determine performance when it comes to leadership?
2: Well, what we did was we looked at the industry standards, right? We didn't make up our own set of performance metrics. Uh, We relied upon the industry. So, for example, in arts and entertainment, we looked at, you know, in the literary business, the top-selling book authors – we looked at, which, by the way, sadly I'm not one of them. <laughs> <laughs> but we looked at um, uh, top-selling book authors. We looked at, you know, the top-selling music labels. Uh, you know, the the most profitable companies. Right? We use the industry standards in terms of how they determine performance. Is it perfect? No, but. It, to my knowledge, is the first attempt that anyone attempted to actually measure performance in a particular industry as we talked about leadership. And, you know, what we were trying to do is really elevate the conversation, right? I mean, I was exhausted, and, I, and I'm and i sure many, I'm hoping many of your listeners are exhausted too about, you know, the latest book about why women are where they are, you know, that they're, whether it's that they're not leaning in, with all due respect to Sheryl Sandberg, <laughs> Or, you know, whatever it might be, it's just like, look, this is a larger systemic issue. This is not, you know, if women were more aggressive, right, or if women asked for more money or, you know, all of that. It's like if you look at, you know, 14 sectors in the U.S., if you compare it apples to apples, there's a disparity, right? Are you going to tell me that the CEO of Yahoo, Marissa Myers, are you going to suggest that and I don't mean you directly, but, you know, will, the, will that person out there suggest that she just isn't aggressive enough and that's why she earns less money than her male counterpart? I don't think so, right? I mean, we're talking about a systemic issue. And it's not just with women, right? I mean, it's with people of color. It's just a natural human phenomenon, right? We have these inherent biases, most of which we're not even aware of.
1: Actually, I'm glad you brought that up because one of the questions I had for you was, is it a genetic predisposition that humans equate leadership to masculinity as opposed to femininity?
2: No, right? It depends on what time in history we want to turn the clock back to, right? I mean, there was certainly a time when, you know, that that is not how. Granted, it was a very, very, very long time ago, ancient ancient time. But uh, nonetheless, I mean, I don't think there's any inherent disposition, right? I think in our most modern history, we have, you know, valued and favored that which is masculine. But it's, you know, it's not to say that, you know, we're not evolving more. I mean, I I believe that we are, we're growing, we're becoming more cognizant. You know, and I said to you before the interview started that, you know, I started off this and, and quite frankly, I had no idea what I was going to find when I was starting to dive into the data. And I had no attachment. In terms of what I would find, I frankly thought women would be better represented than what they were. And I was surprised that they weren't. I kept asking questions, which is how I got to the performance piece. And it started off as a, you know, study of trying to understand the gender gap. But really, by the end of the three years of research, I can tell you that it's not about gender, it's about talent. And that's what we need to be concerned about.
1: When you mention it's about talent, I understand from the fact that if I'm on a board of a nonprofit or if I own shares in a for-profit entity, I am most concerned with the talent that we have, how they're achieving results, and that we're moving forward as an organization. If that's the case, then I just want the right person for the job. Why is it that that still exists And people aren't willing to make that change and force that change.
2: Yeah, I mean, I I think it goes back to, you know, that whole inherent bias, right? And we all have it, right? Women are as sexist as men. Uh, People of color oftentimes have the same set of racial biases against their own race, right? I mean, we live in the same society. How could we not have the same collective set of biases, right? We see all the same media and all of that, right? So I think the question is, how do we get over it, right? And it's so funny because I think it's like um, this very non-controversial statement, right, to say, hey, we're all sexist, we're all racist, we're all ageist, we're biased, Let's we know that. Let's move on. And I just gave a talk in uh, outside of New York City uh, just a couple of days ago. And you know, I there was a, a, a gentleman in the room, and I had nothing to do with his gender, quite frankly. And I think you know, I'm sure I ruffled the feathers of a couple of the women as well. But he was just so taken aback. He said, "Really? Is really we're all biased? I don't want to be biased, right? That's not." who I want to be. And you know, I, I just want to say, how could we not be, right? I believe that is the inherent human quality. Not that we, you know, see value or more value in, in masculinity or there is some inherent value in masculinity as a leader. I, I think the inherent human trait is that we're biased. And so but we can't afford to be because we're in a deeply competitive global marketplace.
0: We'll be right back to this interview after a quick word from our sponsors.
1: It is time for Learning Made Easy, brought to you by lynda.com. Invest in yourself this year with a free 10-day trial to lynda.com, where you will have access to over 3,000 online courses on topics that range the gamut. And these courses are taught by experts, so you can pick up the stuff that's really going to make a difference in your life. I'll tell you, I mentioned it last time, but there are two courses on there that I absolutely love. One is the Getting Things Done, and the other is Breaking Out of a Rut. You should check them out. They're in the show notes. Or perhaps you're feeling a little entrepreneurial. You want to learn photography. There's a Foundations of Photography class. You want to blog better. There's Writing Fundamentals classes. And the best part about Linda is it's one fee. As little as $25 a month for an individual account. And you get access to all the courses as often as you want. So sign up for your free 10-day trial today by visiting lynda.com smartpeople smart people and get unlimited access to every course. Invest in yourself in 2015. Sign up for a free 10-day trial by going to lynda.com smartpeople smart people. Did you ever look at or study or find anything about the, this idea of mail-run businesses are the prevailing norm? from the beginning for the most part, and I'm making a guess, but and tell me if I'm wrong. So it's just that men have been there for longer and they're going to do their best to maintain those positions of power, even if, it, and white men probably, uh, even more so, even if it means putting down other races and, uh, sexes, is it something that it's almost protecting the status of the white male?
2: I really don't think so. I mean, uh, perhaps I'm just not that cynical. I'm more Pollyanna. I don't believe, I don't believe, and maybe I'm wrong, and I'm sure, you know, I'll have people tell me that I'm wrong, but (laughs) I just don't believe people are sitting around thinking, how are we going to hold back this group, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I think, is there the occasional person? But I really think it's, you know, we hire and we promote what we know, what we recognize, what we're comfortable with.
1: I'm glad you said that because I agree. And and again, it's just perception and opinion. I don't know. I don't have any statistical basis to back that up. But I would really hope that's not the case because I got that idea from, say, you look at politics, right? The current state of politics. I mean, I do believe, for example, Congress does spend a lot of time just sitting there. All they're concerned about is keeping their position, not anything else, not the agenda, not what they're hired to do. And so I was wondering if you ever found that to be the case in this scenario. But it sounds like you didn't. And I Again, just for the sake of mankind, I hope that you're right.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I agree. I mean, that has never come up. In fact, I would say it's the opposite. I think, I think the struggle that we have is that we think we measure based upon performance. We think we are already doing these things. When, when you dive in deeply, you find that very few companies really are measuring performance. It's not easy but it needs to be done properly and well, right? And again, I mean, I say it's a talent gap because, I mean, perhaps, you know, here is my bias. I'm a capitalist at heart, I I guess, because I want the best and brightest to rise, right? I want us to have the most global competitive workforce in the world. And I just don't think we can do that by doing the same old stuff we've been doing.
1: And, you know, I think we can't discuss this topic without covering the myths behind, Women in the workforce are almost women in general. And I know you cover this in your book. One that I found, it just jumped out to me, was you mentioned more women than men earn national science awards. And granted, that's just a small example, but I have always wrongly, and I am willingly admitting this on air just probably taken for granted this idea of like, oh, you know, women excel at EQ, if you will, you know, their emotional intelligence, and men excel at things like math and logic and science. And clearly that's not the case. I know that on a logical level, shows how logical I am, but that is a common myth. It has to be.
2: It is. I mean, you're exactly right. And again, both genders hold that same myth, right? Mm-hmm. I ask, again, I've I've talked to dozens of audiences around the country, and I oftentimes will ask them, you know, do women or men make up more of the high school science teachers? Invariably, everyone will respond, men, of course. Well, that's not true, right? Mm-hmm. It's, women make up the vast majority of science teacher positions in high schools, and men make up uh, more of the PE positions, right, the physical education. So it's just, it's just so interesting to me, right? We all have it. And again, I have to put myself in that same category. I'm studying this. I'm teaching at a women's college. Only, you know, there's only two women's colleges left that are affiliated with a university: Colorado Women's College of the University of Denver and Barnard College of Columbia. Right? There aren't many. Uh, there are still a number of women's colleges, but there aren't, you know, that many that are that have remained in the big scheme of things. And so, I should know better, right? But I. <laughs> I was surprised. I really thought I was going to see that more men are science teachers, right? Just basic stuff like that.
1: I have to admit that when I was reading your book, it's very kind of punch you in the mouth, right? It's it's very I mean it's detail oriented and it has science, but it's uh, it comes across opinionated or just correct, you know, women excel and here's all the bad things that happen in the corporate world to women and how unfair it is. So I expected For you to be much more hardcore, feminist, driving, we've been wronged. And so I'm happy to hear that, you know, I think you you definitely are coming at it from this perspective of we have biases built in and oftentimes it's not even something we recognize. And so that has to be something you've made a conscious effort over the years to really make sure you employ in your work.
2: Yeah, I mean, I have to tell you, when I when I teach class, right, if it's a co-ed class, I am constantly calling on men more than women, right? I mean, I am as guilty, if not more so, than most people, right, in terms of, you know, the whole subconscious gender biases, right? And, you know, it's so funny that you say it's, you know, the book is like a punch you in the mouth kind of thing. And, I blame that on on the fact that I'm from New Jersey, and uh you know, I think it's just my writing style more than anything right i mean what i what I really tried to do was you know here's the thing people i had I had a student asked me the other day you know how does when you give this talk in the u s how does that different than when you give the talk in, in another country in a developing world like in southern Africa or in the Middle East? How does it differ? I said I don't have to spend three quarters of my time explaining that bias exists Mm. right like we can just get to how do we deal with ensuring the best and brightest rise in the u.s i have to spend three quarters of the time saying look this really exists (laughs) okay (laughs) and here's why this really exists and it's it's a it's a greater challenge now you know i granted i would much rather live uh, in the U S and I'm, I'm grateful to be in the U S as a female. Certainly. And, you know, I don't mean to downplay that because there are some really serious situations for women globally. Um, and I'm fortunate and privileged that I don't have to deal with that on a regular basis. You know, but I just wish we can just get to let's talk about employing the, the best and brightest. Really, that's that's the conversation we need to get at, too, I
1: believe. Well, that's interesting. So you mentioned that in the U.S. you spend a lot of your time explaining that there is this bias. Is it that people aren't willing to admit that they are subject to a bias that they don't consciously recognize?
2: It's the pushback I get, believe it or not, is mostly from women men afterwards will come up to me and say, I get what you're saying. I see it every single day. I totally get it. And women will say that can't be true, right? I can't be earning 80% on the male dollar. Like they just don't want it to be Mm. true.
1: Well, getting back to the thing about myths, because this is definitely something on this subject, the idea of women as mothers, women as the only sex that can bring life into this world. And then raise the child and a lot of the uh, preconceptions around that and how that affects the workplace. What did you find when looking at that aspect?
2: Well, it's interesting. There's, there's a whole lot of studies done on this, uh, and I, I did not reinvent the wheel. I just looked at the existing studies that, um, you know, have already been talked about in the media, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and there's lots of contradictory information out there on on this. You know the fact that we don't that we have parental leave and not maternity leave, I think will begin to change a lot of that because more men are, are becoming more comfortable and taking time off to be with their with their newborn. Um, so I think that's a good thing. you know and there are, I say there are contradictory studies because some, for example, will say that women with children, earn more money than women without children, right? And, you know, some of when you dive in deeper, uh, employers will think and oftentimes make decisions based upon, well, you know, we don't need what what does that single woman need with all of that money, right? When you actually have kids, then you know, there's a psychology that goes into it. Well they need, you know, more money to raise the kids or whatever. And so there's that information, right? Then there's folks that talk about how women lose X amount of time in the workforce. You know, my study really looked at senior leadership positions, not entry level, not middle management. We really looked at senior and executive positions. And so, as a result of that, women have made a set of determinations, decisions on how they were going to do their family life already. And so is it a factor? I have no doubt it's a factor. It's a factor of employers when they hire. I mean, it is. There's there's no doubt about it. I think it's going to become less of a factor as more men become comfortable taking paternity leave.
1: Let's talk about this subject of paternity leave because this will be, well, I don't know, depending on when this airs, this might be a news break to the listeners, but my wife is pregnant. Congratulations. You know, thank you. Yeah, fairly recently. And I, one of my good, my best friends, he just had a baby as well. And he told me, Hey, it's, it's so crazy. My job, he works for a a big accounting firm, gives me six weeks paid paternity. And I said, Oh my gosh, that's amazing. I I don't understand why that's not the norm. And he said, really? Like you don't understand. He said, I'm probably not even going to take it. And that was mind blowing to me. What is it with this thing where I don't know, are, are men just unwilling to put family before work as a whole? Maybe that's another stereotype or bias. Is it the idea that staying at home, taking that paternity leave is weak, is not leadership material? Any idea what's leading that charge?
2: I, you know, it's funny because I can tell you a number. I can you know provide the same set of anecdotal examples, of uh, women said the same thing, right? Or, you know, they're so proud that they returned back immediately uh, from giving birth. You know, they gave birth on a Tuesday and they returned to work on Wednesday and, and how they didn't take uh, maternity leave because they were afraid how that might impact their promotion. You know, I, I, it's it's um it's unfortunate, I think. You know, and I um I think it's going to change with Gen Y. It seems like it's going to change with Gen Y anyway because of their set of values and uh, how they uh, approach work and their philosophy around work is very different. You know, I think baby boomers who have been leading you know our country for a long time now um, have certainly a particular take on work and what that means and putting in your time and things of that nature. And so, you know, I think we're going to start to see that shift. But, you know, there are a number of women who say the same exact thing that, you know, your male friend said Mm -hmm. about, about leave.
1: And now it's time for our awesome sponsors who support Smart People Podcast.
0: Valentine's Day is coming up. And if your wife, girlfriend, significant other, partner, whoever it may be, tells you they don't want anything for Valentine's Day, What they're really saying is, get me something for Valentine's Day. Don't worry, though, because we have the solution to your problem. This week, we are sponsored by Sherry's Berries. Sherry's Berries offers giant, freshly dipped strawberries starting at just $19.99. Go to berries.com, click on the microphone, and type in our code SMARTPEOPLE. For our listeners, you can even double the berries for just $10 more, but you have to use our code, SMARTPEOPLE. Sherry's Berries come delivered to your house, dipped in white, milk, and dark chocolatey goodness. They're topped with chocolate chips, decorative swizzle, or nuts. They are amazing. They are the biggest berries I've ever seen. They're fresh, they're juicy, they're just delicious. I've used Sherry's Berries for years for both my girlfriend and for my mom. Anytime I want them to feel special, not just on Valentine's Day, but any day of the year, I use Sherry's Berries. So what do you have to do? Here's the only way to get this amazing Valentine's Day deal. Giant, juicy, freshly dipped strawberries starting at $19.99. Or double the berries for just $10 more. Visit berries.com, B-E-R-R-I-E-S.com. Click on the microphone in the top right corner and type in smart people. That's right. Go to berries.com, click on the microphone, and enter our code smart people. What are you waiting for? Order your giant, delicious Sherry's Berries today.
1: Yeah, I could definitely see that. And it's a cultural shift that needs to occur because like the Europeans, they have it right. They take plenty of time. I don't understand why can't we just understand that it's a, that's part of life.
2: You would think, right. And, you know, I think what we need to do is figure out how do we still accomplish what we need to accomplish, right. Are we working harder? Are we working smart? Right. And I, you know, I think that's Perfect sort of uh, segue for your show, right? Because we're supposed to be smart people. So, are we working hard or are we working smart? What does it mean to achieve those results? You know, you know, does it matter how we get there as long as we achieve the results, right? I think all of that stuff is part of that conversation.
1: What companies did you look at and study who were mastering the? Let's just put the best people there for the job. If you wouldn't mind, who were those companies and how did they do it?
2: Sure. So let me, if I could just qualify quickly by saying that I looked at hundreds of companies, thousands of companies actually more realistically um, and thousands upon thousands of positions. And I did that in a descriptive study, meaning I just simply counted what existed, <laughs> right? I had a sure, slew sure. of research assistants, right? So we just literally counted what existed um, in those in those positions and how much they earned. We didn't take a sample. We literally just counted them. And then what we did as a follow-up study is a case study. So then we took six uh, companies, and uh, two of which were U.S federal U.S. offices. And we looked at, um, we just dove in very deeply to try to figure out and understand what their policies and practices were. The two that stood out was the Department of the Treasury and Xerox. Interestingly, the Department of Treasury is run and has always been run by a white guy. And Xerox is currently being run by a uh, African-American female. And so both have really extraordinary practices and policies and have achieved some of the best results uh, in the U.S. in terms of um, attracting and retaining the best and brightest and having as a result having really significant representation in both gender and among people of color
1: Do you think it's something that they have to, these companies and the ones that have done a good job, uh, they have to make a point to say, how do we uh, bring the best talent to the forefront? Is it something that they have to identify this bias prior to moving forward in order to bring the best candidate to the job?
2: I do think it has to involve a deep, Amount of intentionality, right? Some of the companies were forced into examining their practices, right? Like Walmart with a slew of lawsuits. Xerox, prior to uh, its most recent iteration and transformation of the company, also experienced a number of lawsuits and pushback. Uh, They, you know, and they made that very intentional transformation. The Department of Treasury, interestingly, is a very different scenario. What I love about the Department of Treasury is that it is the exception in the book. Typically, when there's a man of color, or a woman in the head position, there is improved representation among both women and men of color.
0: Mm. Uh,
2: And the, the Department of the Treasury was the only exception that we focused on, uh, that we saw and, and therefore focused on. they um, The department really had always stressed and emphasized performance to the exclusion of everything else. But it's like that brilliant case study that emerges that sort of puts all the pieces together, right? And that's what helped me realize that we're talking about a talent gap, really, and not a gender gap.
1: Yeah, so it sounds like it's most important to really put in place Systems that allow you to analyze performance, because that way you can at least have the the numbers right in front of you to determine the best candidate.
2: Yes. And I think as important is also being intentional about creating an inclusive climate right? And inclusive does not mean everyone gets a trophy, right? That is not what we're talking about. We're talking about inclusivity, meaning that everybody has a seat at the table. Everybody's welcomed. We're not going, we're going to be intentional and we're going to have an open workforce where, you know, it's not hostile to anyone, uh, whether overtly or passively. And so that combined with performance really is what makes the difference. And here's the thing, Which I think is really important is that when you're looking at senior leadership, oftentimes they'll be very intentional about both performance and inclusivity in the middle management and lower positions. And then once they start getting to the executive leadership, then they start poaching from other companies and then the performance metrics and the inclusivity that applies for everyone else all of a sudden no longer applies. And what Xerox has shown is that it has to. You have to apply the same level of performance metrics and standards and the same culture around inclusivity all the way to the top.
1: I think the thing that you highlight so well is the fact that, you know, you're not saying, hey, look, we need to put women or minorities in these positions of leadership because it makes us all feel warm and fuzzy and gives us a better, you know, public perception you need to do it because if you don't, you're missing a large percentage of the, a talented workforce.
2: Yes. I mean, really, I, I think that is my number one message in the book. And uh, I think that's something that we all really need to care about. I mean, as someone who is teaching and educating our next generation, right, the jobs are not plentiful. We're in a knowledge economy Uh, You know, it's not like there's all these jobs that, well, you know, not everyone should go to college and people should just go and be a trades person. Well, that's all fine and great. But the reality is, is that there are fewer of those jobs. Mm -hmm. Right. And so it'd be great if we can, you know, ensure that people can earn a livable wage you know by by being a plumber or an electrician or a construction worker or whatever it might be and by the way every time we talk about those we conjure up an image of a male in mm-hmm. our minds right mm-hmm. but uh you know the reality is is that we can't you know that's not what our economy is i mean it is but it's not you know how we're going to be the best nation uh, and the most competitive nation on on the planet
1: when talking about being competitive globally, I would have to imagine that for the most part, although we there's still this glass ceiling that exists, women are earning less than men, we have to be one of the uh, most progressive economies in the world. Is that true?
2: You mean progressive? Meaning oh, sorry.
1: In terms it- of employing all genders and races and things like that.
2: You know it's so interesting. I, it it reminds me to make another point as well which I'll have to jot down so I don't forget. <laughs> but you know it's um we are progressive in many ways and not in other ways. I'll give you an illustration. Uh my home institution where I teach is uh stop for the State Department. They bring uh, delegates from around the world and will oftentimes stop and we host them and you know, I'll give a presentation, they'll present. And we had a couple of years ago an Iraqi delegation of women leaders. And the Iraqi women stood up and this just, the women in, in the class were just very much taken aback. And the Iraqi woman stood up and said, you know, you, you American women think you have rights because you can speak out because you're not afraid when you walk down the street. But you don't really, you know, you're not well represented. And it was true before uh, Saddam Hussein, shall we say fell from power? (laughs) You know, Iraqi parliament had some of the best representation of women in, in the world, uh, in, in their parliament. And so and there are many countries that are doing far better, countries you would never think that are doing far be- better right? than, than the U.S. Um, are women wealthier here in the U.S. comparatively to many of the third world countries? Yes, absolutely, in- including the second world countries as well. Um, are women as represented in society? No, they're not. Um, they're really not, and that's not by my accounts. That's by, you know, the ton of research that other people have done to show that. Um, I will say, I think women have more money here, but in general, U S Americans have more money than, than, uh, much of the world. And so I, I think it depends on what, what we're talking about. Right. And women have been working, you know, in the workforce for a long time. And that brings me to that second point that I was, that I referenced earlier, You know, I think we oftentimes talk about how women are just now entering the workforce in the last 50 years, which is such a white heterosexist perspective, right? Because women have been in the workforce since we've had a workforce, right? right? But, you know, yes, among upper middle class white women, we have only started to see them enter the workforce, you know, in the last hundred years. But the reality is, is that women have been in the workforce, right? In that whole notion of, well, we just need to fill the pipeline. Well, I think it's a little bit more complicated than that, right? Women have been made up, have been making up fifty percent of the of the undergraduate population for some time. So it's it's this interesting sort of uh, you know shift in our frame.
1: Sure. Well, Tiffany, it's been so much fun talking to you. I really appreciate it. The book is Recognizing Women's Leadership. Is there anywhere else that people interested in this subject who want to learn more about it, who want to identify their biases, um, is there anywhere else you would guide them? Do you write anywhere? Where can they find you, et cetera?
2: You know, they can find me at tiffany.lennon.com. At gmail.com. Uh, Tiffany Lennon is Tiffany with an I at the end, of A and I, on Facebook, on LinkedIn. Um, you know, I'm available and I'm I'm happy to talk with folks as they wish.
1: Well, again, thank you so much. I really appreciate it, and I'm glad we uh, I'm glad we got to catch
0: up.
2: Thank you, thank you for your time.
0: Welcome back. I hope you guys enjoyed that episode with Tiffany Lennon. Absolutely powerful stuff there. Remember that you can find her book, Recognizing Women's Leadership, Strategies, and Best Practices for Employing Excellence, on Amazon and at your local bookstore. If you are buying it on Amazon, don't forget to use our Amazon banner over at smartpeoplepodcast.com or use the convenient link, smartpeoplepodcast.com slash amazon. That'll take you right over to Amazon. You can do your shopping as normal, and we get a little kickback from Amazon at no cost to you, and it's a fantastic way to support the show. So thank you in advance if you do that. If you want to reach out to Chris or I, remember that you can email us at smartpeoplepodcast at gmail.com or shoot us a message on Twitter at smartpeoplepod. We love hearing your feedback on the show, the guests, Just drop us a line, let us know. And if you do enjoy the show, please head over to iTunes and Stitcher and leave a rating and review over there. That really does help out the show. And if you want to go the extra mile to help out the show, do not forget about our sponsors. We got some great things on there each and every week. That's what really keeps us afloat. It helps pay the bills. It allows us to keep doing this podcast week after week. So thank you very much if you supported those sponsors that support smart people podcast. We've got some cool episodes coming up in the weeks to come. So stay tuned to that and we will see you next week.